Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks, well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Always happy to be here to talk about our faith, to share our ideas, our hopes, our dreams, our fears as about being Catholic and how we live our Catholic lives. Uh, let's start the show, as always, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. And today especially we pray, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray unto thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, today, interesting show. I've been doing a little more research on deliverance lately. Um, a few issues have been coming up, and um, I had to <clears throat> have friends ask me to review certain things and, and ask me different questions. Well, oddly enough, I just got an email today uh, with a, an attached um, article. That's a pretty interesting article that we're going to go over, and the question is, uh, uh, is it on demonic dreams? Are they possible? Can we actually have demonic dreams? You know, in the world of psychiatry uh, and psychology and, and when we study the mind, we do take a look at dreams and we study dreams and we can talk about what that's all about. Is it possible to have demonic dreams? We're going to look at this article. We're also going to look at another article because if we're going to talk about the mind, satanic influence or anything like that, not only do we want to see, hey, what's going on with our dreams, but the reality of today's world, there was a second article that I wanted to review uh, on how the devil is affecting our children. And oddly enough, it seems like it's something new. We're going to ask ourselves, really, is it new or has it always been around? Well, let's go ahead and get started. And I thank you for your patience. As you notice, the studio might look a little bit different behind me. I'm hoping to uh, create a, a different little space here, make it a little bit cleaner, a little brighter. Uh, and hopefully by next time, our next show, we'll see a, a, a much nicer studio. Uh, behind me. But let's get started here. Interesting article, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, and many of you who follow Deliverance might know him. I believe he's still over in Washington, D.C., or somewhere on the East Coast. Uh, and he wrote the book on the Exorcist Diary. Uh, he always writes stories and updates on things he's experiencing uh, as the exorcist on, of one of the dioceses on the East Coast. Uh, interestingly enough, he wrote an article called 
demonic dreams. And let's see what this article entails. I haven't even read it, but I know that he's a good Catholic priest and the article will uh, not give us any curveballs as far as our Catholic faith. Well, let's go through this and see what's going on. How does this apply to our psychology as human beings and obviously our psychology as Catholics? <clears throat> it says, the woman a woman recently relayed to me her dream, which she thought was demonic. People often tell me that they suffer from demonic dreams. I am always a bit skeptical, but this one caught my eye. So this was different. And this is true. You know, a lot of people will come to us all the time. Hey, I'm having demonic influence, demonic dreams, demonic this, demonic that. I understand why people say that and might feel that way. Uh, because in the world, we feel oppressed, we feel overwhelmed, we feel dark, we feel heavy. And sometimes some dreams, you know, we call them nightmares, right? So they're scary, scary dreams. And we say, oh my gosh, that dream was so scary. It seems so real. It must have been diabolic or something. Well, let's see what this dream was about. He goes on to say, last night, as usual, I sprinkled holy water around my bed and room. As I was sleeping, I felt two warm creatures wrap up to me, one near my shoulder and one below near my waist. I reached to feel them. They had warm, soft fur, and my thought was, how sweet, but I went to remove them, and they sunk their sharp teeth in my arms and wouldn't let go. I tried yelling, but was so weak, so I tried to scream louder, and when I did, I woke up, and they were gone. It was terrifying. I've never had a dream like that and don't want another one. Well, that's interesting, folks. So this person saying they don't want to have uh, uh, a dream like this again, terrifying. That's a good sign that it was a nightmare for sure. Was it demonic? Well, let's see. So far, all we know is that there were two soft, warm, furry creatures, one around my shoulder and one below my waist, um, and they reached down to feel them. Now, remember, this is all happening in the dream. This is not happening while this person's awake. This part of this paragraph here uh, doesn't specify, but obviously she says she woke up because she was so scared. She was screaming loudly. Now, listen to this. This gets interesting. As a psychologist, I know that many intense images and emotions can surface during our dreams. This is true. Many clinicians believe dreaming is a way into our minds to, to process the events and emotions of our lives. The mind tries to work through our inner conflict and traumas to bring resolution and peace. As such, dreams can be full of strong emotions and frightening images, especially when our lives contain fear, pain, powerlessness, and or abuse. So this is true. So the psychologist is actually the priest. He happens to be a psychologist as well. And this is true. Really what we say dreams are is more just kind of a, a purview of the subconscious, what's going on in the background. When, when, when do we pay attention to dreams? Well, dreams can be just kind of fun and quirky and say, gosh, I had the funniest dream last night. I was at the at the fair and you know i was there with a friend of mine i hadn't seen him in forever and we were just laughing and it was a funny dream um so we can have dreams that we say leave us with a positive feeling and then we have very intense dreams we could say we had nightmares you know oh gosh i saw a scary movie and i had a nightmare and I, I was like in the movie and i was about to be killed or something along those lines sure why not we can say we have those dreams as well now some of those are obvious. What's the explanation is really the question of the day, because sometimes we say, well, if it's a scary dream uh, like that one, well, it's because you saw a movie. What that tells us, though, is that this movie influenced our mind and somehow got recorded in our mind, somehow got filed away in our mind like a computer, and the file is still there, and it was still running. It, the, the CPU hadn't shut it down. It was a, fi a file that was still running. Well, what about the dream about my friend? I haven't seen my friend in forever. I don't know why I would have that. We were never at a festival or a fair or somewhere where we were laughing in my dream. Sure, but guess what? 
your friend is still filed away in your brain as well. Remember, our brains file everything away. Everything's there. The other thing is what's going on in our subconscious. Because if I had a patient who came to me with a stream, classically, they would have had something going on in their lives. They would have said, I'm not having a good time at work. My boss is really coming down on me. Or I've got some friends who really want me to go do something I don't want to do. I feel trapped. Um, those are the kind of uh, images that this dream evokes feeling trapped, you know, two warm, fuzzy creatures. It could be my friends, but they're supposed to be warm and fuzzy. But then they're trying to get me to do something I don't want to do. And that's where I, I say something's not right here. I try to push them away and I start to yell and scream uh, and they bite me in the, in, the, in the dream, right? So that could be, gosh, conflict with my friend, whatever it is that's going on. Well, let's see here. Let's go on to say, see what this is. Father says, but this woman's dream had signs of a true demonic encounter. First, it was a clear dream with a plot to it, rather than being a, a uh, melange of images. Second, it was an intense encounter that she vividly remembered. Normal dreams tend to be forgotten quickly, unless written down upon immediately upon waking. Third, the actions of the demonic character were typical of that what demons do. In this case, they tried to seduce her into thinking they were warm, soft fur, and thus friendly. But when she rejected them, they turned vicious, having sharp eye one more second here having sharp eye teeth and well that doesn't kind of make sense there that's just the grammar but let's see what it says here having a sharp eye teeth and refused to leave uh fourth her emotional response was one of intense fear she said it was terrifying this would be a typical emotional response to a demonic attack so let's see it's saying having sharp teeth i think there's a typo there so starts off warm and friendly try to seduce her into thinking they were warm and friendly they turn on her she wakes up, she's in fear. It was terrifying. This could be typical of emotional response to a demonic attack. Okay, well, let's see what else he says. So far, I'm not hearing anything demonic. I think she had a bad dream. Um, father can attribute these these uh, um, these traits to it and say that it's demonic. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where the demonic part is and I see where he's going with this, but I wanna see where the article goes. He says, what is especially interesting is that somehow that she somehow knew that she should reject them despite feeling they were warm and soft, likely seen through the demonic deception that was a grace from the Holy Spirit, perhaps with a nudge from her guardian angel. It took a bit of effort for her to get rid of the demons, but when she screamed louder, they left. So her rejection of the demonic seduction was strong and persistent, which is critical. Her use of holy water before sleeping probably helped to spiritually protect her against this demonic attack. I do not quickly ascribe to demons to demonic cause to any dream that might be ugly and terrifying. But this dream fit the criteria of a true encounter with the evil one. In fact, they are not really dreams at all, but rather spiritual encounters while we are asleep. But even in such vulnerable states, the Lord protects us as the psalmist says, I will lie down in peace and sleep comes and sleep comes at once. There's some grammar errors, some typos here. I will come down in peace and sleep comes at once for you alone. Lord, make me dwell in safety. Okay, and so that's where he leaves it. Now, the interesting part here is, I understand what Father's saying. He's saying this has the, all the, give me one second. Gotta get a sip of coffee in there. He's saying that this dream had all the underpinnings, all the potential to be a demonic dream. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. We gotta look at this one step at a time and ask ourselves, is this a demonic dream or not? And what would a true spiritual demonic encounter look like? Well, I got a different story for you on that when we come back from the break.
All right, folks, so welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We are talking today about demonic influences. The first half of the show, I wanted to focus on this idea of demonic dreams. Uh, the second half of the show we're going to talk about uh, after the next break is really, if the, can the demon influence our minds? Uh, how much power do they have over our minds? Can they read our minds? And where do they really want to attack uh, when it comes to um, how we think, how we feel, what we're doing about things? But let's look at this one quickly here. So before the break, we were reading this article on uh, by Monsignor Rossetti from his uh, Exorcism Diaries or Diary of an Exorcist. And he says that he believes this person was having a demonic uh, dream. The reason he attributes it is because this person saw these warm, fuzzy creatures. And so the, you know, the demon comes in and tries to trick you, tells you that he's warm and fuzzy and that this person screamed really loud and they bit into her. Now, as I'm reading this, as I hear the dream, I don't necessarily, I don't know this person. I don't know uh, what the rest of their life entails. I don't know if they have anything else going on in their life. I don't know if they are being demonically influenced or not or attacked. I don't know any of that. Just based on this alone, as a psychiatrist, I would not necessarily attribute this to be a demonic dream. Not necessarily. Not, I wouldn't, I would say, gosh, it was a scary dream. Yeah. You know, holy water, we should always sprinkle holy water or holy salt or something around our homes. Uh, is that going to influence it? Well, some people might argue, well, if she did sprinkle holy water, why would she even have this demonic dream? We got to leave that one up to God. God's going to allow us, uh, allow things to happen. We have to have our level of faith. The dream itself, I don't want people to go out and think, gosh, I had this dream, so that must have been demonic because something lured me in and then it attacked me. But I would be more curious to see when she woke up, did she have bite marks? When she woke up, was there anything different in the home that then, you know, in her room than she had left it before she went to sleep? Things along those lines. Because if it's truly going to be a demonic dream, it's, we can't just attribute anything to it. We got to say, hey, there's got to be some definitive uh um, signs, something that we can say, yeah, this this sounds a lot more demonic. I can't just go willy-nilly and say, oh, well, this sounds like it because it was scary, okay? I'm not saying Father necessarily did that because, again, I don't know the whole story. I don't know the whole background. He might know information that I don't know. But just based on this article alone, I wouldn't necessarily attribute this to being a demonic dream. Otherwise, we could say every scary is a demonic dream. But here's a story for you. There's a different story about a dream that I had heard as I was listening to, like I said, I've been doing some research on uh, deliverance lately, a little bit more research just to stay up to speed. And I heard the story of a young gal who uh, was, you know, going, she was very gifted. I don't know if she was a singer or something. She was some kind of an artist. And she went to a very famous art school uh, in New York to advance her career. So a lot of times, you know, people, if our, if our kids or someone has a very good gift of acting or singing or, you know, any of these talents that you can go into the entertainment industry for, um, there are schools specifically for that. So people will go sometimes to the local arts high school and they really focus on their singing and their acting and their whole career uh, or to make that a career. Or they'll go on to the colleges where this is something that is considered um, or somebody considers that, yeah, you have the potential to be very famous and we're going to get you in here and you're going to make the connections or you're going to have this or that. And we're really, really going to tune you up for that. Well, this young gal had a particular talent. Don't ask me to remember the talent. We'll just say she was a good singer. And so if she was a good singer, uh, she went to the school. They thought, gosh, she's she has a lot of talent. And as she's about to graduate, you think, you know, like all of us do, we're going to graduate. So that must mean that I should have a job by now. I'm going to get my degree. That means I have a future. 
Well, lo and behold, like happens to a lot of people, we graduate from college, we have our degree, and then we ask ourselves, what the heck am I going to do with this? You know, obviously, if you're going to go to medical school like I did or law school or something, you already have a further career path. But if you're going to finish after undergrad, you're not sure what you're going to do. So all of a sudden, as a story goes, and I heard this story from an exorcist, I'll put a link actually to the article, to the uh, video that I was I was seeing, a very good video, an interview with an exorcist, uh, and he was recanting the story. And he was saying, he was, uh, he was recalling the story, I should say. Uh, and he was saying how, as they graduated, this young gal, all of a sudden she saw that all her friends were getting jobs and were getting job offers and they were, um, you know, moving in the direction that she thought she was going to be moving because they're graduating, they have their degrees. And lo and behold, there's nothing, nothing happening for her. Um, anyway, so she goes on and she's frustrated and she doesn't know what to do. And, you know, she comes from a Catholic background, uh, but she doesn't know what to do. And the important thing about the Catholic background, I would say for any of us is, as you're going to see how the story goes, as Catholics, we're going to be held more responsible for our decisions, I would say, than other people. Because we say that we have the fullness of the truth. We proclaim that we are of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We say we have an unbroken line of popes from St. Peter to currently Pope Francis. And if that's the truth, and we have the deposit of the faith as left to us by Jesus Christ himself, then that means that we have greater knowledge in our education, in our understanding of the Catholic faith, than people who were not brought up Catholic. This is important to consider. So listen to this dream. Remember, she's Catholic. Well, she's having this dream. And um, she started, actually, she started getting into the occult. And she started um, trying to see what she could do to better her life, uh, things of that nature. Uh, you know, crystals, things, whatever the power, whatever powers there are. And one night she goes and she goes to sleep. And it says, as the story goes, that she had a dream. And in the dream, she said that the most beautiful man appeared to her. Uh, but she knew it was it was the devil. But he appeared very beautiful and he was naked. And it was, you know, that's classic diabolic. People start taking their clothes off. You can even, if you have questions about that, you can look at a video on Fulton Sheen. I'll look for the link on that too. And he talks about some of the signs that he knows from the demonic. And one of them is people kind of take their clothes off. Nudity is a sign of, of things getting a little bit evil, the demonic. But in this stream, this young gal... Uh, sees this man, he's beautiful, and he says, will you do anything, anything to advance your career, to become famous? And she says, yes, I would. So supposedly he wrote up a contract, he had a contract, and he cut her, he cut her finger, and he signed uh, the contract with her blood as it was bleeding out. So all of a sudden, and remember, this is a dream. She signs this, and he says, okay, you know, and in fact, uh, the contract at that point burned and turned into ashes and she woke up she woke up from this dream so the dream goes she meets this guy he's incredibly beautiful uh he makes her sign this contract in her own blood in the dream and then there are and then the contract burns up and it turns into ash well she wakes up and all of a sudden what happens she has a cut on her finger and there's ashes next to her bed this is not something that she had planned before. This is not something she would say, oh, yeah, this is uh, what would be expected, or I set this up. This is right after the dream. This tells me something is really going on, right? So lo and behold, of course, what happens? She starts becoming famous. She goes around. She has contracts. She does all these different things. 
she starts living the life and we sometimes we say the hollywood life or the entertainment life or the famous life and she goes around and she is uh enjoying it to the fullest and what does that mean it means drugs it means sex it means you know enjoying the power and the fame and things like that well unfortunately she catches hiv right so now she's got hiv and is developing into aids and now she's not doing well her contracts are dying out remember the Demon asked her if she was willing to do anything to be famous, but we forget that any contract with a demon is never going to be good. There's never going to be anything positive that comes out of it. They're going to try. It's all about destruction. It's going to be good at first. You might get what you think you wanted. She thought she wanted fame, and at that point, she's like, I don't think I want fame anymore. Uh, you know, now I'm dying. Uh, she ended up getting A. She's in the hospital. She goes to the hospital bed, um, and she she contacts her mom. Her mom's a devout Catholic, and she asked her mom to pray for her, and she tells her mom what happened, right? This contract is you're going to get what you want, but then at the end of it, there's always death, and it's going to ruin your life. It's going to ruin, you're going to try to ruin your reputation, you're going to try to ruin whatever they want to ruin, these demons will try to do. Why? Because they know nothing but destruction. Notice that you think, but yeah, but they're going to give me something good. No, the goal is destruction. They're not going to give you something good. They're going to give you destruction from the beginning. We just can't see it. Okay, this is why in this dream, there was nothing that scary. It was nothing, you know, there was nothing uh, uh, um, that made her want to scream. It was all about money, power, fame, right? Those are the classics. That's Those are the classic things that demons know as human beings we're going to want. How do we know that? Because ever since the beginning, when Jesus was tempted uh, after his 40 days in the desert, what did what was the demon trying to tempt him with? Money, power, fame, glory, you know. All these things, the kingdoms of the world, worship me and I'll give you all this. Throw yourself off. It's kind of like being famous. Gosh, this guy threw himself off the top of a tower and angels came and saved him. He's going to be all over the news. He's going to be famous, right? Give yourself uh, bread. You don't have to go hungry. You don't have to suffer. You're going to have whatever you need, right? Make yourself a piece of bread. Whatever you want to satisfy yourself will be at your fingertips. So much so that you can even turn a stone into bread, right? Money, power, fame. That's how it goes. So it's the classic things. So what happens to this gal? She ends up in the hospital. She's dying. She's not doing well now. She's got HIV. She's got AIDS. All from having this contract. And she's like, gosh darn it. I should have never done this. I should have never had the contract. The price of fame is not worth the price of my life. Is really what it comes down to, right? So she contacts her mom, devout Catholic. The mom calls up the chancery, talks to the priest, wants to find an exorcist tells them exactly what's going on hey my daughter did this contract with the devil she essentially sold him a soul or her soul and just gave it to him and now she she got her fame but now she's dying and we think that this is all diabolically afflicted well as the story goes the exorcist comes over talks to her asks her what's going on and says hey you know what we gotta do we gotta do your own blood contract and we gotta break that one so what they said they did was in this particular case they wrote down the creed, right? The creed that we all know. Why is the creed important? Because this is what we believe. Keep in mind, when she signed the other contract, it was about, I believe in myself. I believe I want to be famous. I believe in the power of me and fame. But who's giving me the contract? Demons. So what I'm really saying is, I believe that you're going to take care of me, that this is what you're going to give me. I believe that I'm going to bow down to you so that you can give this to me. That's essentially what you're saying. From a, even if you don't do it directly, you know, essentially you're saying, I am going to trust that you will take care of me, okay? That's 
that's just what we what we do when we sign a contract. It doesn't mean that if I sign a contract to buy a car, I'm bowing down to anybody. I'm saying I buy a car. I trust that you're giving me this car in good condition and you, and you trust that I'm going to pay for it, right? So that's a different story. I'm not telling them, please put my life in your hands, right? I'm just saying, well, my life's in the hands of the car, assuming that they made it correctly, but not because that's going to give me power and fame, right? If I sign a contract like this one with a demon about power and fame, it's really saying I'm putting my well-being, my life, everything in your hands, and you're going to be my God, really, is, is what the contract says. So a priest says, no, we're going to have to sign the creed, because the creed is telling people who our God is. This is what we do every time we go to Mass, okay? So this is where we got to look at our how powerful our prayers are. We don't realize this. We get so complacent that we think, gosh, you know, I just pray this every day. No big deal. Every time we go to mass on Sundays, we say these prayers. I don't even know what I'm saying, you know, because I'm just sitting there. And after a while, I'm like, oh, what part of you know, I drifted off? I don't even I'm not even paying attention. And all of a sudden, oh, what part of the mass are we on? Oh, yeah, that's right. This part. So let me get get right back into it. And I'm going to say this this prayer like a parrot would because I'm not even understanding the, the power of the words that I'm saying right now. Well, we got to understand that every time we're praying in church, every time we're going through the prayers in mass, these are important prayers. There's a whole lot of power behind them, you know, and we need to understand how this story is going to end. She's going to sign a contract uh, using the creed. What is this going to do to her? Remember, she's dying. Um, and at this point, we got to say, hey, is she going to be saved or not? Is she going to be taken away from the clutches of the devil? Well, we'll find out more after the break. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. And as always, I am here happy to talk about our Catholic faith from a mental health perspective, from a health perspective, from a spiritual perspective. Today, we are talking about can demons influence our dreams or not? Is this possible? Before the break, I was telling a story about a young gal who actually signed a demonic contract in her dream. And it was actually there when she woke up, you know, the ashes of it. And her finger was cut and everything as it had been in the dream. We know that this is a little bit more than science can explain, right? It's not just a dream of the subconscious. But now the dream went into uh, the physical reality, almost like a nightmare on Elm Street. If anybody ever used to see those old scary movies uh, where there's a you know scary guy in the dream and then you wake up and somehow there's still remnants of that there. Well, where we left off the story, this young gal was in the hospital. She had acquired HIV, was turning into AIDS, was dying. Um, and mom found out about the contract she did with the devil, called the exorcist. The exorcist comes over and says, you know what, we got to do it. We got to get you back to God and you got to proclaim what you really believe and really sign a contract with God. That's really what we're doing every time we're going to mass. We're saying we're proclaiming a contract with God. We're saying, God, I'm putting my life in your hands. If we think of it correctly, it's interesting when people come out of mass and say, you know, mass doesn't really do anything for me. It just it's there. I don't get anything out of it. I think that for the most part, we might not understand what we're doing and what we're getting out of the mass. So what we're getting out of it is that is the contract. I'm in there every Sunday and saying, hey, I'm signing a contract here and I'm saying, I'm putting my life in your hands, God, and I want to hear about you. I want to hear about you through the readings. I want to um, understand what's going on in my faith. So I'm going to proclaim my faith and I'm going to receive you in communion. That signs the contract. Notice that it's the blood of Christ we receive. Jesus isn't asking us for our blood. He's not asking, he's not asking for our blood. He's not saying, hey, you got to come over here and give me your blood. What he's saying is, I'm giving you my blood, and we receive that every single Mass. It's that blood contract, the blood oath. We no longer have to do a bloody sacrifice, as it says. It's in the form of wine and bread, right? But 
the reality is it transforms into the body and blood of Christ. There is a blood contract there. Uh, every single mass. Do we think about that? I don't know. I think it was become so commonplace that we don't realize we're making a contract with God, sign in blood and his blood. This is very important. This is God's mercy coming to us. And this is our God who's coming to us. Well, this young gal, the priest put down the creed. Remember, the creed is what we believe. Every time we say the creed, we're saying in our hearts and we're saying to the world, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe. Now, we say it in the mass and then we forget about it and we live our lives in a very different way sometimes during the week. But what we really said that Sunday, this is what we're going to be held to, that I believe in God and I believe in the Son of God and I believe he came and he died for me. And I believe that there's, you know, he came to us through Our Lady. Notice that that's in the creed. A lot of people will say, oh, you, you know, Catholics are and the Virgin Mary and this and that. That's in our creed. That's a, that's an important dogma of our faith. He, we came, he came through the ever Virgin Mary and he died for us. He rose from the dead. Then we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe our sins will be forgiven, and we believe in everlasting life. The priest wrote all that down for her, the creed, and had her put her blood on that, sign that contract. And guess what happens? At that point, she died. She died, much to the chagrin of her mom and the doctor and everything. And they're saying, what did this priest do? You know, now he's open for lawsuits and all these different things, right? Well, she dies. Uh, they don't know what to do. They don't know what's going to happen. I don't remember how long she was dead for technically and clinically, but then all of a sudden she comes back to life. And when she comes back to life, guess what? No more illness, no more AIDS, no more dying, no more whatever she was going to die from, whether AIDS, cancer, anything like that. I believe it was, it was the HIV that was going to get her. But all of a sudden she's cured. She's fixed. She, why? Because she went back to the truth. She went back to where the true power was. Notice what the contracts gave. One contract gave fame and, you know, uh, Hollywood glory or worldly glory uh, and a lot of entertainment and death. The other contract was about, I'm just putting my life in God's hands, and it brought her back life. This is what we need to remember. And this is where can the demons affect our dreams? Absolutely. No, absolutely. But if you have a dream like that where you're dreaming something and then all of a sudden you notice that it influences your life, that, I would say, is truly a demonic encounter in a dream. If you have a dream where, you know, a couple of warm, fuzzy things come at you and you're scared and you scream and they go away, I would have to see what else is going on in your life. Again, from the other story, I don't know all the details. Now, the important question here that I have, and it ties into the other article I was reading, is can the demons influence our minds? Because if they can get into our, dream, our dreams, what are they doing to our minds? What are they doing with the way that we think? Well, there was an interesting article that I found because this is where we need to understand that, yes, the demons can influence our minds. They cannot read our minds, and that is well-documented theologically. Exorcists will tell you this. The church will tell you this. Demons cannot read your minds. They don't know what you're thinking, but they can have a good guess. It's kind of like if I see somebody and I say, hey, this person's going into a restaurant. My guess is that they're going to eat something. They're probably hungry, right? So that's a pretty good guess. Why? They went into the restaurant. Why do people go into restaurants, right? So if the demon sees that you're going into certain websites, you're going to go into certain areas uh, of ill repute, they're going to say, hey, this person's open to be one of our friends. Versus if the demon sees that you're going into church, they're going to say, oh, no, 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 this is not good. So we got to, they're going to go into church. There's the potential there for them to pray. I'm going to make them bored. I'm going to make them think that this should be entertaining. I'm going to make them uh, focus on the priest's tennis shoes and be very upset that he's not wearing dress shoes instead of realizing that they're doing a blood contract with Jesus Christ. I'm going to make them focus on everything else 
that uh, is in the church except for what's actually really happening. In fact, I'm going to make it so that they don't even realize that they just prayed the whole mass. I'm going to get rid of their faith. That's what it comes down to. When does it start? When can we, how can we block this influence of the demons in our minds? How can we uh, make sure that this isn't happening to us? Well, I read this article that said, parents need to wake up. Advocates sound alarm about Satanists after school clubs sprouting across the country. Why? Because, yes, folks, you read that right. There's Satan after school clubs sprouting up across the country. That's where it starts. This is where it starts with our minds, with our kids. We forget that demons are influencing the minds of the kids. This is who they want to get. This is where they want it to start because if you get kids, they grow up. You know, a lot of people say, I grew up in the faith. How many friends do we know that say, yeah, I grew up in the faith and I fell away from it for a while in my teenage years or I had a rebellious stage and boy, I went out and I sinned like crazy and whatnot, but there was something inside of me that was telling me, no, that's not right. And then when, as I got older, I went back to the faith or especially if I have kids now, I'm married, I have kids and wow, I really want to go back to the faith. I understand what it means more as an adult, but why? Because we had that anchor. I grew up in the faith. I had it ever since I was a kid. And as an adult, I can see through things. I can see through things that don't make sense. Or, yeah, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the church. We'll say, well, yeah, sure. But then I'm a hypocrite too. I'm saying I sin and I want to come back into the club and I want to be forgiven for my sins. So does everybody else at some point. But the reality is it's the kids' minds that people are after. And I would ask as a parent, what are you doing? What are we doing to make sure that our kids aren't influenced in this way? That our kids aren't going to be influenced by this. This is pretty scary. Now, nowadays, you know, the old adage goes that the devil, the the biggest uh, trick that the devil does is to make you believe he doesn't exist. I don't believe that's true anymore. Maybe in the past. Nowadays, the devil's right out there. There's there's no question about it. There's shows about demons. There's shows about the devil. And if we look at this, there's even satanic after-school clubs sprouting out, sponsored by, you know, the satanic temple is what they call themselves. The interesting thing interestingly enough they're going to tell you oh yeah but you know what we don't worship the devil. we just call ourselves a satanic temple we use all these satanic symbols we'll probably do rituals in our church is my guess uh, but we don't worship the devil well classic right the devil's going to lie to you to your faith and your face and, and you're going to believe it so let's look at this this article actually um was published yesterday it's a little bit it's interesting because it shows how ever since uh last month or last week um, you know, this has been going on, but let's go through this really quickly. It's a long article. Let's hit the highlights, but we need to talk about why would the devil even influence my dreams? Why did the devil want my thoughts? And why is the devil going after the kids, right? What kind of dreams are your kids having? You got to ask yourself that. It says a flyer for Chesapeake Virginia's club shared by the, uh, the Satanic Temple's national campaign director uh, said that students will be doing puzzles, games, crafts, and nature activities in addition to being taught Benevolence, which means goodness and empathy, critical thinking, problem solving, creative expression, personal sovereignty, and compassion. While the club's flyer claimed the program does not attempt to convert children to any religious ideology, students are instructed in the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple. So right away, this is where the mind starts, and we have to start thinking critically as Catholics. Let's look at this. This sounds all good. Right? Why why wouldn't it be good? Benevolence, which is goodness and empathy, critical thinking, problem solving, creative expression, personal sovereignty, compassion. Aren't these good things? Aren't these things that we should be teaching? This is what this is what the argument's gonna be. This is our, our the fight for our mind. Because we hear this and we say, Well, should this uh, club be in our schools? 
you know, there's going to be a parent teacher meeting. There's going to be something going on with parents who are outraged on this. And they're going to say, no, we can't have this. Well, why not? Why can't you have this? They're only teaching good things. They're teaching things that the children need to learn. The question that we have as Catholics is, who do I want to learn these things from? Because we see where the end goes. Do I want to learn this from the devil or Jesus? Do I want to go to the Christian club or the Satanic club? What's the difference? There's a huge difference. Obviously, there's a huge difference. They're not going to make it seem that way. They're going to make it seem like, no, we're just caring for your kids. Here's the real kicker. What they're going to make it seem is, well, we're going to teach your kids all these things because you as parents have to ask yourselves, have you given up teaching these things? Are you taking your kids every day and teaching them goodness and empathy and critical thinking the way you know is good? Or are you leaving all the education up to the schools? This is the biggest challenge, and this is what I found with this article. Who's educating our kids? Why do we end up with these demonic dreams? Why do we end up with demonic influence? Why are we so worried that they're going to put a demonic club in the schools? You know, what's funny is if our school, and I'm lucky enough that my kids go to Catholic school, um, and even then you got to fight for the faith and the tenets of the faith, because sometimes you see what's going on and you say, hey, that's not exactly Catholic. We're, you're not doing something uh, based on our faith. Guess what? I sit down with my kids and I tell them, hey, saw what happened at your school there? Yeah, you saw that. Uh, uh, you saw what the, the principal said or what this couple's doing or what your what your friend just told you right now. Now, what does that have to do with our Catholic faith? Are we is, is that in line with our Catholic faith? No, people will do this. And guess what? I can't shield you from all these things your whole life. I'm not going to be able to be there. You're going to be exposed to these things. But I taught you the truth of the faith. So what does our faith say? I go back and I ask them, what does our faith say? What do you know? Have them think critically um, and let them know, I think that way too. This is the right way. This is the truth. Once you know that, you take out the catechism, you take out the Bible, you show this to our children, they're going to be educated by the parents. Don't let that opportunity go by because otherwise the children will veer to wherever they're going to get that information from about being good, even if it's from the satanic side. More after the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Let's uh, go ahead and say a prayer to St. Michael right now. You know, we're talking about some heavy things. We're talking about uh, fighting the dark side. So it's always good to have that protection over us. We'll say the prayer to St. Michael, uh, our Father, Hail Mary, and a glory be, just to make sure if anybody's feeling a little bit queasy about these things and to put our hearts at rest. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast and tell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We ask Our Lady to cover uh, our families, our homes, our possessions, and everything with her mantle. We consecrate ourselves to her immaculate heart today. We ask Christ to have mercy on us and consecrate ourselves to his sacred heart as well as we talk about these things. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's not forget that that's really what we're doing when we're praying. We're consecrating ourselves to Christ. Where we're sinning, we're unfortunately headed in the other direction. We're moving away from God. And inadvertently, 
kind of consecrating yourself to hell, you know, to the other way. So we got to keep that in mind. It's not that sometimes it's just passive. We think, oh, you know, if I just do this, it's okay. It's not that I don't want to be with God. It's just that I want to have fun. You know, like the dream that I told you about that gal had, she never said she didn't want to be with God. She just said she wanted fame, but she didn't care where it came from. Right. And all of a sudden, what happened to her life? In the same way, if we look at these after school clubs, if the demons are, you know, or the, the satanic temples putting it on and we're saying, yeah, I want my kid to have benevolence and empathy and critical thinking and problem solving and creative expression and all these things that they promise. Yeah, I don't I want them to have that. But do we care where they're getting it from? It makes a big difference as Catholics. Obviously, we care. So. Let's keep reading this article. It's interesting because the Satanic Temple uh, describes its religion as a scientific, rationalist, and non-superstitious worldview. Okay, that's fine. And it says that the purpose of the club is to go to schools where other religious clubs are operating. Okay. Well, they interviewed somebody else here from the Family Research Council, uh, the assistant director, and they argued that uh, they aren't trying to, it says the satanic temple is not trying to establish equal footing, but in undermining religion as a whole. It says it's always concerning when people try to use kids to gain attention or legalize themselves. Treating the satanic temple as a religion undermines the credibility of religion and its role in American society. But that's their point. They are so desperate to advance a secular vision of society that they created a fake religion to challenge the role of Christianity in our public institutions. In other words, um, if they... If they're going to say, hey, we got to be here. We're a religious institution like any other one. And if we can't be here, then guess what? Nobody else can, right? So it's pretty crafty that way. You know, and what their response is, you know, the devil's always going to respond with poor me. It says, unfortunately, this is what the Satanic Temple said, some individuals make violent threats in response to our request to use school facilities and to be treated the same as other groups. Anyone who has sought to block the after-school Satan Club from meeting at the school, even after the club and school were threatened, should ask themselves why they're siding with criminal actors over children and families gathering in fellowship. That's all we're doing. We're just gathering in fellowship, right? Under the name of who? The Satanic Temple can easily say, we don't worship Satan, we just use him as a symbol. Nah, it doesn't work that way in the spiritual world. We know that. Once you put that symbol, whatever symbol you put on, that's who you're claiming to be part of. There's no way, there's no getting around, hey, I don't worship. It's like if I put a crucifix around my neck and I carry it on a chain, what am I saying? I'm saying I, I worship Jesus Christ. There's no way around it. I can't say, oh, you know, I carry this cross and I put this cross on, but Jesus doesn't mean much. It's just a symbol of goodness and I don't worship Christ. No, in the spiritual world, we know you have Christ on you and that means something that you're, you're proclaiming that you are a follower of Christ. Guess what? You're taking up a cross. It's no different here. You know, if you're part of the satanic temple and you're and you're using the the face of the devil as part of your um, part of your business, part of your group, part of whatever uh, you're doing, and that's the face that you're putting forward, that's whose side you're on. It, it, that's how it works in the, in the religious world. Now, this other person who was against them said uh, they warned religious parents that the only ones who can truly protect their children from false ideologies is them. And it says parents need to wake up and understand. False ideologies are everywhere, and they must train up their children to follow the one true God of love, not one of evil and destruction. Okay. Now, <clears throat> then the article goes on to say it could it could easily exacerbate the current trend of Americans, meaning these meaning these groups, the presence of Satanism. Um, it could easily exacerbate the current trend of Americans moving away from organized religion, often replacing that void with partisan political activity. Uh, but as a Christian, there is also the possibility that exposure 
uh, to the beliefs of the satanic temple can push the next generation closer to God. Nothing makes light shine brighter than being surrounded by darkness. So this is my whole point with this. And this is why I like this article. You know, as we're talking about, can the demons influence? Can can they can they influence our minds? Can they show up in our dreams? Can they show up in different ways that they're going to attack the way we think, the way we feel? Absolutely, that can happen, whether it be in our dreams or very directly. Um, you know, we see this, and we also we get a pulp. <gasps> they're going to have an after-school Satan club at the schools. Okay, and then we want to do something about it. And guess what, folks? Has it already been going on this whole time and we don't even realize it? Why wait until it's this much in our face? And this is what I mean by that. To parents, what I would say is, what music are your kids listening to? Because believe it or not, the same way that the prayers we say, the same way that in that story about the young gal who signed the contract with the creed, the prayers, those are words. And those are words that we repeat over and over. And those are words that say what we believe. Now, have you heard the music that kids are listening to recently? Because those are words that are being said and repeated. And ultimately, it's what we're going to end up believing, right? What do we believe? That which we're taught, that which is repeated, that which is in front of our faces over and over uh, and, and gets into our minds over and over. What music are your kids listening to? What do the lyrics say? Because that's what the kids are going to believe. Is it different from what I want to teach them as a parent? And if they're listening to this music and it's different than what I'm teaching them, my question would be, what am I doing to teach them? Have I been teaching them about these things? You know, when they go to concerts, do I let my kids go to concerts? No. Why? Because there's nothing necessarily Catholic about a concert. I mean, when you go to concerts, most people are doing drugs. The artists on stage aren't exactly moving in a very Christian-like fashion. <clears throat> and the music, and I should say particular concerts, particular artists, especially very popular artists, uh, sometimes the kids will be like, I want to go to this concert. And I sat down and I explained to my daughter one time, said, no, I know you want to see that artist. And I know that some of her songs are really good. I really like them. And we listen to them together. And I explained to her, yeah, this is what the lyrics mean. And then some songs aren't very good. And I tell her specifically, oh, you've heard that song before because your friends were listening to it or something. Well, let's talk about what that song is about. No, love, that song is not about uh, what you think it is. It's actually about sex or it's actually about drugs or it's actually about this. Let's sit down and look at why this isn't in line with our Catholic belief. Guess what? As I was teaching her that, my daughter one day told me, you know what, I don't listen to that person anymore at school. My friends still listen to her. She said, I don't even listen to her good songs because, um, you know, it, it just doesn't feel good anymore. And she says, I found a different artist who is apparently married, has Christian beliefs, and is a, uh, has the same genre of music. And I really like her. And that's who I want to um, listen to now because she's more in line with our beliefs. And that all came not from her friends or from her dad not being cool because I didn't like the music or not like the music. I sat down with her and I was just honest with her. And I said, hey, this is what you're going to listen to. I can't stop that. I don't know what they're listening to at school or what their friends have. You know, now everybody's got a phone. Parents let their kids have whatever it is, a lot of access to the Internet. I let my kids know you're, you might see somebody with that phone and they might have a, a, a what's considered a dirty picture. And I said, the body's not dirty. You might see images of naked bodies on there and whatnot. But that's not appropriate. That's not the way God wanted us to use our bodies. They're hearing that from dad. They're hearing sitting down and listening to that. And I got to do the same thing. The beauty about teaching our kids is that it makes us realize that I got to practice what I preach and I got to preach what I practice. More importantly, preach what I practice because that's what the kids are seeing. They're going to see what I practice and I'm telling them something differently. I can't sit there and tell them do as I do as I say, not as I do. I can't sit there and, and they're going to tell me practice what you preach. I'm going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to preach what I practice, which puts me in check, 
once I'm in check and I'm living a Catholic life, that's going to trickle down to my family, to my kids, in my household. And I'm not going to worry if all of a sudden my kids end up in a situation where they see, hey, there's a satanic club there. As soon as they see that, they're going to say, oh, gosh, no way. This is way too obvious. That's not what I'm worried about. Those are the obvious things that we see. That's easy to decipher. It's more the subtle things. It's more the way that the demon comes and influences our kids with, you know, the idea of fame, the idea of uh, power, the idea of being worshipped. And the elementary school level, what's that going to look like? Candy bar. Do you want a candy bar? Well, then you got to be part of our club and we'll give you this candy bar, but you got to do this or you got to look at this uh, website or you got to, you know, listen to this music or it's the silliest of things that we think, gosh, my kid would never fall for that. It's not that my kid would or wouldn't fall for that. It's, well, what have I taught my kid to fall for or not fall for? Or have I taught them anything? In this particular case, you know, we can say, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. Now the devil's everywhere. No, the devil's always been everywhere. The question is, do we recognize it or not? And if it's coming that much in our face where they say, hey, there's an after-school Satan club, I think the plus side of that is it stops and makes us think. I'm glad that parents are going to be outraged or say, no, we can't have this in our school. Because the next question is, well, why? Why can't we have this in our school? The Satanic Temple is making a great argument. We're teaching good things. We're teaching something rational. Why can't I possibly be here? The only answer to that is Jesus Christ. That's why you can't be here, because you're directly juxtaposed to Jesus Christ. And that's what's in our hearts, in our families. And this is what we teach in our homes. And my children are going to know that. And they're going to say, no, this is not part of who we are. This is not part of who we are as a family. This is not what we want in our lives. This is not something that I'm going to consider or even go to or even think about considering. If all of a sudden they decide that they're going to put an after-school Satan club at my school, which they wouldn't because it's a Catholic school. But the real question is, what other clubs are there at the school that we might not even recognize or that we might not realize um, are influencing our kids? Are they are there Catholic schools that are allowing our kids to feel um, that eh, it's okay to not follow certain you know tenets of our faith? Um, it's okay to not uh, to say, well, the Catholic Church believes us, but you know that's not necessarily what I see in society. My friends, they're good people and they don't believe that. And and they're actually doing the opposite of what the uh, school teaches and what the religion teaches. And so that must mean that it's okay. Maybe the church has it wrong. It's, an, it's so easy to fall into that trap or, you know, gosh, I'm going to, yeah, I'll join the Catholic faith, but I'm going to join the Catholic faith in order to change a few things because I don't like the way they're doing things. So I'm going to join it almost like it's a political party or something. These ideas of the devil influencing our minds, our dreams, our children, really comes down to make us ask ourselves, where is my faith? I think this is, I, I don't think it's all bad. Obviously, demons are bad. We don't want to do anything sinful. We don't want to go, do anything to, to lead credence to them or, or to head in that direction. But I think it's a good thing to actually have this come up, whether it be in dreams or in schools, because then I ask ourselves, well, what am I going to do about it? Am I living the life that I'm supposed to be living? Why am I outraged by this? Because I love Christ. And I have to ask myself, am I loving Christ the way I'm supposed to? And if I am, am I teaching our children to love Christ in the same way? Until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic.